Oh, Jesus. Savior born to an unwed teenage mother in a backwater town amidst the livestock. The one worthy of priceless gifts from the Magi. And the one who became a refugee fleeing the murderous order of a desperate king. We stand in awe of your ways, O God. May the powerful wind of your Holy Spirit continue to swirl around and lift us up here this morning as we hear your word proclaimed. So that we might embrace Jesus and be transformed by his love for us and for all creation. Amen. Well, ready or not, 2020 is upon us. And I think probably how you feel about this kind of depends on where you're sitting as you begin this new year. Uh, it may be a source of excitement and possibility for you, uh, or you may see the new year as more of a source of dread and uncertainty, or you may even kind of look at it with indifference. But wherever you find yourself, there are two things at least I can think of that are pretty much for sure in 2020. First, it's going to be interesting. I don't think there's any doubt about that, or as a commercial says, it's going to be interessante, for sure. That is for sure. With an impending impeachment trial, a decision on human sexuality by the United Methodist General Conference, a presidential election, a new mayor in Noblesville, Twitter in general... I'm sure 2020 will be interesting. And while all of these things will make the new year interesting for sure, followers of Christ also need to be vigilant in guarding our hearts and our minds and our tongues and sometimes our typing and our uh, texting fingers so that as we walk through this year, we do it in a way that does not bring shame to Jesus. Sadly, in this past year, I think there have been several things that have shamed Jesus and have hurt the witness of the church in the world. But the good news last year and the good news we can also count on this year is that even in the midst of the messiness of life, God is always right by our side no matter what, no matter what comes our way. Well, we're nearing the very end of our 12-day celebration of Christmas where Jesus came to be God with us in the flesh. And continues to live with us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit continues to bless the world as it converts and calls people to a life of discipleship. Following the way, the truth, and the life of the one who has come to save and reclaim the whole wide world. Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, I would argue that faith and politics in fact do mix. And always have. Since nothing is outside of the moral authority of God who created all things for the common good, this is not going to be a sermon of poli about politics, but about truth. However, this is not the truth of facts and figures or uh, polling data, but a very particular truth that is critical for those who desire to join in Christ's great reclamation project for the world as God intends it to be. Now, there may have been a time, there may have been one, when people were more accepting of the idea of truth, but I would say that that time has passed. 
We seem to be pretty distrustful of all sources of news. And now even when there's video and even written evidence, it's often refuted or simply ignored. This is just the reality of the environment where we find ourselves today. So it seems that perhaps our gospel reading from John is fitting because Jesus does not tell his disciples, I am here to tell you about the truth. I'm not here to tell you about the truth. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the truth. He is the truth. He embodies the truth. He makes the truth visible for his disciples and for the world. Theologian Stanley Harawas and uh, retired United Methodist Bishop Will Williman remind us that Jesus did not arrive among us enunciating a set of propositions that we simply have to affirm. There is no point at which Jesus says, you need to believe four propositions about me. Number one, I was born of a virgin. Number two, scripture is inerrant, and so on and so forth. Jesus just doesn't talk like that. Jesus never asked us to agree. Jesus asked us to join up. To follow. He did not call for cognitive assent. He asked for a life of discipleship involving the whole self, not just our minds. Again, he did not say, I have come to start a discussion about what is true, even though many of us wish he did and maybe even perhaps would have preferred if he had. But he didn't. Rather, he came saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is personal, and it is a person. We Christians would really have no idea what truth is if it were not for being met first by Jesus. When we hear talk of truth today, talk about what is true, what we often mean is that what we just heard has some connection to what we presuppose to be true. We think that is true because based on my experience, it, it's true. Or that idea seems in line with and does not challenge my way of thinking, so therefore it must be true. Or at our worst, sometimes we think, well, believing this will give me some advantage, so I'm going to convince myself and others that it is true regardless of the injury or damage that it may cause. But in Christ, we as his followers believe that he opens up to us a whole new world that we would never have had access to except for the fact that we have indeed met Jesus. Last time I preached, I reminded you that Jesus reigns. Who reigns? All right, good. Getting warmed up here. All right. And because Jesus reigns over heaven and earth, here and now and forevermore, we can have the courage to risk being converted by our experience of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And in reality, we must be converted by Christ to enter into a life of discipleship all the, me all the more because it is not a life that we would necessarily choose all on our own. It's simply too hard. And we simply don't have what it takes to think well on matters of faith and peace and justice and truth apart from Jesus. We are simply not capable just as we are of thinking about these matters without first knowing Jesus, without first being converted. Jesus is a particular type 
of truth. An unexpected type of truth. A type of truth that the powerful may just try to kill you over. We can't forget that King Herod was so concerned about the truth of Jesus Christ that he put out a hit on a two-year-old. That's why the gospel continually avoids asking us for mere intellectual agreement. Rather, what is demanded is conversion. It is detoxification. It is being born again. This need for conversion is, part, is the part that I'm pretty well convinced that uh, Western Christians and Americans in particular with, struggle with the most. We prefer to create our own image of a little G God. And then we are disappointed when the big G God shows up and doesn't meet our expectations. But Jesus is clear that the truth that is the way and the life is indeed himself. Willeman writes, we really have no idea what the truth is, living as we do in a culture of lies, had not Jesus shown us a life that is true to God. That is how we know what the truth is, because Jesus has come and showed us. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, his very spirit, to be with us. John 16, 13 reminds us that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And it is through the spirit that Jesus takes a ragtag bunch of misfits and ne'er-do-wells like the disciples and like us and converts them and shapes them and molds them into his disciples, not just for their own good, but for the good of all the world, of all creation. Paul, when speaking in divided times and into a divided church, said in Philippians 2, 1 to 5 that we heard read earlier, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the spirit, any sympathy, complete my job by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. It is in him that we have hope for ourselves and hope for our world and begin to grasp the truth of Jesus and his good news. When you're converted by Jesus, when you experience conversion through Christ, everything changes. My primary identity is now in Jesus. My primary allegiance over all other allegiances is Jesus. My reason for loving others and even those who make it darn hard to love them is Jesus. My reason for forgiving others is because I have been forgiven by Jesus. My reason for caring for the orphans and the widow and the sick is Jesus. My reason for opposing children in cages is Jesus. My reason for welcoming all and all means all is Jesus. My reason for fighting against injustice is Jesus. My reason for calling out the ugliness of white supremacy is Jesus. My reason for shining the light into the darkness is Jesus. 
my reason for embracing the wonderful variety of humankind that God has blessed us with is Jesus. And my reason for proclaiming the good news of Jesus is because of Jesus. And the reason why I'm yelling in church today is to get your attention, and it's because of Jesus. Jesus loves me, and Jesus loves all of you too. Yes, even you, because you may be a jerk. You may be a scoundrel, you may be a saint. You may think you're pretty slick. You may be a complete and utter mess. You may be on top of the world. You may be deep in the pit of grief. You may be suffering. You may be rejoicing. But there is a place for you in the warm embrace of Jesus. And he is the way and the truth and the life. long time ago now, <laughs> I was apprehended by Jesus. He got a hold of me, and he wouldn't let go. How about you? I've been converted by the truth of Jesus. How about you? So let's be honest. My conversion, and I expect yours too, is always a bit tentative. It is held together by the Holy Spirit and sometimes what feels like a little bit of duct tape and bailing wire. We are like clay pots that could crumble and fall apart at any time. You see, that is... Because this conversion to the way of Jesus is always precarious on our side of the equation. But Jesus is the new covenant maker and 100% covenant keeper. We on the other side of the covenant are what you might call a questionable proposition. You never quite know when you or I might just crack up. Or lash out. You just don't know. But regardless of our human frailty, out of his great love, we are a risk Jesus is willing to take because he just won't let us go. He just won't let us go. And the good news is that since Jesus is the source and power behind any tree, true conversion. I trust if we stay close to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, if we open our eyes up to see, if we hold tight to love and to one another, then we can surely stand firm against anything and anyone that tries to break us apart. I can stand firm, and you can stand firm, and we can stand firm together because Jesus is the truth. We stand firm in the face of violence. 
We can stand firm when struck with fear. We can stand firm when temptations come our way. We can stand firm when idols pop up. We can stand firm in disappointment. We can stand firm when lust for power seeps in. We can stand firm when we feel like giving up. We can stand firm when we're up and when we're down. We can stand firm. Oh, yes, we can. You know why? (laughs) Because of Jesus, right? We must. We can and we must stand firm. Stand firm in Jesus. Stand firm for Jesus. Stand firm for the world he so loved. Stand firm for the least of these who are my brothers and sisters. Stand firm for the hurting. Stand firm with the vulnerable. Stand firm with the lost and lonely. We must stand firm. What must we do? Stand firm. Y'all forgot your part. Man, gotta keep teaching, don't we? All right. Stand firm. That's what we must do. In light of Jesus coming as the truth, We also stand firm against some things, too. Even when it hurts, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it is inconvenient. After all, you don't think that Jesus got a hit put out of him on when he was two years old and got hung on a cross because he just told people for what he was for, do you? Of course not. We stand firm against any notion that some lives are worth more than others. We stand firm against walls that are built to separate and divide. We stand firm against white supremacist ideology. We stand firm against exploitation for profit. We stand firm against the culture of violence. We stand firm against environmental degradation. We stand firm against anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. And when we stand firm, the light of Christ shines and a fire of the Spirit burns bright... And the truth of Jesus is made visible for a hurting world. Hallelujah for that. What we as followers of Christ stand for and what we stand against is only made intelligible, though, when we have been confronted, convicted, and converted to the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ. And it is only from this location... That we are made usable and useful for the transformative kingdom work of Jesus. For as my brother in Christ, public philosopher Dr. Cornell West reminds us, Jesus is not into foliage. Jesus is into fruit. In this new year, how and by whom is your spirit and character going to be shaped right now are you peacocking around are you bearing more foliage than you are fruit then maybe it's time to turn to Jesus as your truth and your guiding light for life I hope and I pray that a desire to encounter the truth of Jesus Maybe even a little bitty part of you this morning is why you're here. And that you are converted by and to his way of love revealed in his life and his death and his resurrection. Y'all could have stayed home today. 
You know, it was kind of chilly this morning. I had to scrape stuff off my windows. You know, my bed was nice and toasty. I'm sure I'm not the only one. But you are here. And since you are here, I now invite you in Jesus' name to make or renew your covenant with the one who loves you and the one who is the way and the truth and the life now and forevermore. 